If you've listened to this podcast before, you would know we are all about improving collaboration in healthcare to make things happen. And that's hard enough to do in this complex world of healthcare, but even harder, I would argue, to do that in a public health setting as a local health district, so a group of hospitals. But one LHD, local health district, that's leading the way when it comes to real-world application of virtual reality in a hospital setting to solve real problems is Western Sydney Local Health District. And today on the show, I'm joined by Nathan Moore, who's been on the podcast before, but also this time joined by Dr. Jennifer Davids from Western Sydney Local Health District. And together, Nathan and Jen will share with us their experiences, particularly in overhauling their Code Black management process for Western Sydney Local Health District. So we'll find out all about that, and in particular, how virtual reality has helped play an important role in all of it. Collaboration starts with a conversation. Team Health Tech, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Nathan Moore and Dr. Jennifer Davids from Western Sydney Local Health District. Nathan Moore is the lead for digital innovation for WSLHD and responsible for the identification, development and deployment of innovative solutions to clinical and educational challenges. He's no stranger to Talking Health Tech and a proud THT Plus member, previously appeared on podcast episode 123, so go back and listen to that for some context. But he also appeared on a panel at our Winter Summit, which you can hear on episode 161 of this podcast as well. Joining Nathan is Dr. Jennifer Davids, Educational Consultant, Research and Education Network at Western Sydney Local Health District. Nathan and Jennifer, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having us, Pete. You're welcome. Amazing. It's great to have two guests on and the more the merrier, as they say. But Nathan, you're no stranger to Talking Health Tech. You've been on the podcast before, an active member of the community and and done the summit thing too. What's been keeping you busy since the last time we've spoken now? Look, really have been keeping busy. That little COVID thing threw a few spanners in the works for us and, mm-hmm. and getting deployed to support in a variety of different settings. So that was challenging, but we've kept the projects going. Things have been going nicely with the ALS in VR and a whole bunch of new projects in the works. And, and what we're here to talk about today, the Code Black project, that's been taking up a, a bunch of our time, but really worthwhile project. So excited to talk about it. Thank you. And Jennifer, did you want to give a bit more context and background about you and, and your role and what brings you to this conversation? Yeah, sure. I work in the Research and Education Network at Western Sydney Local Health District and um, my role is basically to work with people and develop education programs to do research and try and translate that into action. So, um, yeah, we've been working on the Code Black project now for a couple of years, basically, and it started with doing the research with University of Sydney and it's just grown. It's absolutely, The project has just grown and grown and grown to take on more and more sort of arms and legs, shall we say. So, yeah. And for those that aren't familiar, explain Code Black, what that is? So a Code Black is a response to an act of aggression or violence in a healthcare setting, basically. So it's a staff response to that. 
Got it. So we've got this issue of violence and aggression towards healthcare workers, which then a healthcare worker might then alert to a code black. We've heard a little bit about this, obviously ongoing, leading up until COVID and then the situation perhaps intensifying. But like, tell me a bit more about it. How big is this issue of violence and aggression towards healthcare workers? Well, it's an international problem and it's a growing problem of more staff being injured in incidences of aggression and violence in emergency departments or healthcare settings. And what we found is that it's actually intensified during COVID as well, as people get more and more frustrated or tired, more people showing up at the emergency department. So I think this is a really well-timed project. And we have found that in Western Sydney Local Health District, there's definitely been a spike of incidences that make this a really challenging environment, but also one that we have to actually rise to, we have to respond to and try and protect staff and give them ways to protect themselves. So, yeah. And I would imagine in a hospital setting, that would only become more intensified in, say, the emergency department in the ED. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's people who are very concerned and worried and have long wait times and don't know what's going on and feeling frustrated and not necessarily understanding there's a whole heap of stuff going around behind the scenes and getting frustrated with waiting and, yeah. So I think the ED is definitely a place where there's more of a flashpoint for it. Yeah. And as I understand, you, you've looked into this in a bit of detail and got some findings? Yeah. So we were really asked to look at whether we could use virtual reality with Code Black. But what we wanted to do, first of all, was to find out what was going on with staff and what their needs were. So with the University of Sydney, we went and talked to staff across the four hospitals in West Sydney Local Health District. The findings have now been published in a paper in the International Emergency Nursing Journal. But what we found was that staff didn't really know when to call a code black. 30% of staff said they really hadn't seen it coming and it came out of nowhere. And that we realise that staff need training to be able to recognise the signs of an escalating patient from confusion to agitation to aggressive behaviours. And they need skills in being able to de-escalate a patient rather than moving straight into restraint, which can be both harmful for the patient and for staff. It's a psychologically difficult thing to do. But we also realised that some new staff had never actually seen the process of a restraint. So they went into working in the emergency department and then suddenly were faced with this quite, for them, shocking exposure to staff restraining a patient. What we also found was that a large number of staff had actually not actually attended training. We're talking about 25%. And that's basically because of the capacity of the current program to move around and cope with all the staff that want to do the program, which is why the virtual reality programs seem to be a really good answer to that because of accessibility and because of scalability and things like that. For Nathan, I imagine then, you know, that point around accessibility and reaching more people and exposing them to this type of situation, that screams VR to me. Yeah, I mean, sort of as I've sort of talked previously with this stuff, the whole increasing availability of this sort of technology, particularly with the standalone headsets, allowing this to be something that's, you know, that idea of asynchronous education, of being able to to have it go with the clinician where they need it. You know, you can just use a shell space, empty room or whatever. Because 
I guess really making that point, you know, there is a fantastic training and the idea of using simulation and role play, these are all really effective ways to deliver it, but they do require a bunch of clinicians to be in the same place at the same time with skilled instructors. And that can be a limitation. So the idea of using VR to supplement some of this training was, was something that we thought would be really useful in this setting. So building on some of the work we'd done previously, and I guess this speaks to that ability to continue developing and using these shared platforms. We used a lot of the lessons learned from developing ALS in VR, but also a lot of the code. You know, we built a learning management system on the back end that allowed us to connect and, and get clinicians to be able to review people's performance prior to coming to courses. It was already there. We just built upon that. So what we've done with VR is we've sort of used three different approaches within VR that we thought translated nicely into this setting. So we've used some exemplar videos so Jen talked about people's lack of exposure to physical restraint. So we hired a fantastic actor and myself and Kavita Varshney and Margaret Murphy and a bunch of people involved in this project, we did a physical restraint of a patient with 360 filming from the perspective of a team member in there. So they watched the patient escalate. They watched the decisions made for that the call is going to be made and the team assembles and physically takes down and restrains a patient's to the bed uh, and, and that's quite a confronting video but we think it's a really powerful way of in a controlled fashion exposing staff to this sort of thing. We also used, we worked with a, a, an amazing nurse practitioner by the name of Tim Wand who did some exemplar videos showing us you know, some tips and tricks on how to verbally de-escalate somebody. So that's all available within the VR asset. We then did a, a really cool piece on, we got to the new ED and we filmed from the nurse's station before they opened the new building next door. And we hired actors to populate all of the beds around the ED. And we then did a 360 degree video shoot with each of the actors performing different scenes over a period of sort of five to 10 minutes of early to late signs of aggression. We then used auto slicing to take them into two bedded segments from each perspective, sliced each of those videos into two minute segments, and then used auto stitching in VR to basically make a randomized two minute video of an ED department that's different every time you play it. <laughs> and we then made that interactive. So there's one of the new tools we're implementing in the ED is called the BOC chart, the behaviors of concern chart. And that's a new form of observation. So what you actually do within this randomized video is you interact with each of the patients that you're watching and you can do your snapshot observation of them. You know, they look confused. They look like they're getting verbally aggressive, whatever it is. And you actually perform those observations on this 360 video on each of the patients. And that's recorded against the learning management system we've put in. So at the end of the video, it says, oh, you got this, this and this, but you might have missed this on this patient. So that was where we sort of transitioned to that interactive video piece. And then the part I'm probably most, um, the whole thing is really exciting, but the really experimental and, and the part that checks on my um, tech geek uh, boxes <laughs> is, is the verbal de-escalator we're working on. So what we've built is a AI-driven dialogue, but basically it it's a virtual avatar who's positioned in front of you, you put the headset on and there's a family member who's, who's annoyed at you because his dad hasn't been seen yet and you talk to this person and you discuss with them what's going on. If you say things that would de-escalate them, he, he improves the animations correlate, the patient starts to de-escalate. But if you say the wrong things, he gets more agitated and escalates. And um, we're, we're training that. It's still very early days. We ran our first pilot with a bunch of ED staff last Friday. Uh, it was extremely well received. It's still got a ways to go, but uh, it's a really exciting piece, this idea of practicing those verbal de-escalation skills in a time and place of your choosing without needing to use role play using a virtual avatar, we think could be really powerful as well. 
I feel like you owned a Tamagotchi as a child, Nathan. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fascinating. Look, I think that, you know, that, that opens up so many opportunities. You think about, like you said, a lot of the times the biggest issue for staff is the fact they've not been exposed to these types of situations before. And even though it's a confronting video, to not just watch a video on a screen, but to be immersed in that experience really brings you to that so that if you ever do need to be in that situation, you can respond appropriately. Coming back to some of the the outcomes of some of the research work that's been undertaken, how has that positioned you for some of the work that's planned for the future? Well, we've managed to get further funding that takes us into a space of looking at staff well-being overall in the ED. And so that's a really good thing because while, you know, I mean, these sorts of incidents can be psychologically, physically and emotionally challenging. And we want to be able to support staff as much as we can within that sort of space. So along with the education program, we've also got funding now to develop a good practice framework for staff well-being. Just on Friday, while Nathan was testing out the virtual reality program, I was conducting focus groups basically to find out uh, how staff were feeling about their work, their area, what things could be done to support them, what actually worked for them. Because for me, there's no point in something being introduced that isn't actually responding to staff needs and according to what staff say they want or what would work in that environment. They're a very special group of people, the ED people. They work in a really high-intensity environment. Uh, They're fast. They want action. And so basically whatever we do has to be tailored for them and according to their needs. So that's what the focus groups are about. Now we'll be taking that forward and developing something that suits them. But I also want to talk about, there's another thing, is that in terms of the research and things like that, it's really been a collaborative piece. None of this project could have happened without the ED department, without you know, the ED departments across the four hospitals, without digital health solutions, without REN, Research and Education Network. It's been a really big and positive project with lots of people working together to get this done. I mean, I think probably about 30 security, about 30 people have been working on this project to push it forward. So it's not one or two people. It's been a major endeavor, taking quite a long time. My question, you know, that sounds amazing. And I, and I love how there are different areas, stakeholders involved in making something like this, like this happen because it wouldn't otherwise be possible without the collaboration from each within a local health district and pulling together those types of different stakeholders, busy ED departments, security, who they've got other roles and, and things to deal with and research. How do you coordinate something like that so successfully so that it actually isn't just a conceptual idea, it actually can be released and is and is finalized. I mean, how do you how do you start to think about that for other local health districts or area health networks that might be wanting to do something similar? Well, I think there's multiple leaders that lead different areas and you have to work together and trust those people to work in those different areas. So I led the research, but then the actual a lot of and Nathan has led a lot of the virtual reality development, but a lot of the change that has come through the ED has had to be led by ED staff. It's not, it's not something that we can go in and make changes to. So we've had multiple leaders and actually working together. So that, like that idea of micro teams or working towards that common goal, because there has been, 
know, the project in its entirety, Dr. Kavita Varshney has done an amazing job sort of pulling the teams together and, and did a lot of the work. But Jen's absolutely right. It wasn't it, it wasn't subcommittees and things like that, but it was just a small that 30, there was a couple of us were working on the educational curriculum and I was sort of helping to lead the technology side of things. And we had the EMR guys, because you know, there's a back end from a DHS perspective who have there's now power orders in place for how you prompt restraints and sedation choices and things. And those teams, again, it was just a small little nimble group of people, but we'd all meet, we'd come together once a month and then go off and do our thing and then just come back in. So it was sort of that, yeah, micro teams under under the leadership of a, a larger team leader. But that team leader was more just making sure everybody was on the same page in doing their smaller things. Because there, there was another whole piece as well around the policy and the actual what, what does the code black policy look like that we're actually responding to. And that was up to an executive level as well. So it was lots of moving parts to make this all happen. So it's, it's been a really interesting and it's been a long project. It's been going on for about two years. It hasn't been a short term thing because a lot of things have to be done. And you are working with really busy staff, but I think it's been very, very thorough. And basically, they've overhauled, we have overhauled the whole process of uh, responding to code blacks within our hospital system. So, yeah. So then thinking moving forward, there's a few runs on the board and some success in terms of, or another success in terms of virtual reality and practical application of it within the local health district. What next? Looking more broadly and the application of VR, what, what can we look forward to? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of what we've been doing, at least the success story we've had has, has been due to these partnerships, you know, working with Frameless Interactive and Russell and his team has been a really, really great, uh, true partnership. And so we are looking in some other areas as well. So we've had some real success with the University of Sydney doing some work with the amazing Lynn Munro, looking at dignity in the workplace and some of these dignity breaches that can occur and using this idea of body swapping to experience what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Um, we're looking at using that mechanic for things like clinical handover and breaking bad news. You know, the idea that tell someone that their loved one's passed away, you have that interaction, you press a button, you're then in their shoes, looking back at yourself, hearing what you've just said. So we're, we're exploring some ideas around that. We've got some stuff around the idea of telehealth and using these these AI-driven engines that we've got for the verbal de-escalator, actually using them as patient voices so you can sort of do that telehealth consult idea. And so I guess just painting that picture of, you know, from a return on investment perspective, if you can be recycling and reusing these little bits and pieces that you've got from different applications, we then repurpose them in making new scenarios and new use cases. And all of a sudden you can say to an environment, it's a very different value proposition to say this headset lets you do this one thing. It might be really cool, but it lets you do the one thing as opposed to all of a sudden here's your advanced life support, your pediatric life support, your breaking bad news, your code black de-escalator, your clinical handover trainer. I, I think that that paints a very different picture because we are talking about, be honest, our focus here is this is a public health system. There's, there's often not a lot of money in these spaces and we need to be efficient with our use of resources and things. So that's that's kind of the proposition we're looking to paint here. I think the other thing is is that it's a, such an innovative space that yeah. it's we're trialing new things. We really are piloting a lot of new things and it makes it very exciting, but some of it works and some of it doesn't. It has to be redone. And as Nathan says, it has to be repurposed and you know, so we're trying to add to our arsenal of things in the VR space really, aren't we, to repurpose it. 
And I guess beyond just the VR space as well, is that that's probably one of the things that's really you said before, you know, what what's been happening since since I was last on. And and I guess it's one of those spaces where I think I mentioned in the last one, you know, we we've got to find where any of these tools best fit. And you know, something like VR is going to be really useful in some settings, not so useful in others. So telehealth trainer don't really have any interest in using VR for that at the moment. You interact with these patients over a telehealth consult. You either call them on a phone or, or through a, a video conferencing type application. Well, it's going to be a flat screen experience because there's not necessarily a need for VR in that instance. And we've had a bunch of lessons learned about, you know, where VR can fit well and, and where it might be. The, the body swap idea, you know, we're exploring, been talking with Microsoft about the ability to do some cloud rendering and cloud computing so we could do things like streaming over mobile devices so you don't need that hardware piece where it's not necessarily required so a lot of what we're piloting and trialing is is to work out you know what fits where and, and what have we learned that maybe doesn't need to be done like that or so yes yeah, that's why it has been really exciting i think because we are learning every day and every time we're trialing something new it's really exciting and we've got the capacity to do that you know the districts the university they've given us this capacity to go out and explore which has been really wonderful. It's been really supportive, hasn't it, really, the district. So, yeah. No, look, that makes so much sense in relation to, I guess, the return on investment of the the, the software and the platform. But is there benefits in terms of the hardware as well? There's the, in terms of VR, there's the hardware and the headsets and stuff. Is there benefit there too? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting point because an amazing collaboration that we've had has been with our DHS network across the district. So they've got a really good business engagement unit and led by the amazing Christina. Uh, and they've been profoundly supportive of us. So to the point where it might not sound like a big thing, but, you know, we have our wireless headsets working on the hospital network. So working with the network support team for what are the firewall and proxy requirements to make that actually happen. So we have a hospital provided network that these headsets are working on and the applications within the headset are working as well. That we worked with the procurement team as well to look at, well, actually, what does the setup look like? Because for a lot of my professional career, it's been Nathan making things happen. And, you know, we can never have these roles dependent on an individual. And it's not just Nathan hotspotting headsets to the phone. We went, okay, well, what does the setup look like? What does it look like to get accounts sorted and the setup so that it's someone else sitting in my seat? can say, oh, we need another five headsets for the emergency department or whatever, and those can be delivered with the appropriate retrofitting required with the appropriate setup happening so that they're ready to sort of plug and play and be used in that environment. And I guess even the idea mentioning of the setup appropriately, you know, there are some retrofitting we've had to do to some of this hardware to make it meet the infection prevention and control requirements that we have as well for use within within the healthcare setting. So making sure those things were in place and that, yeah, somebody could set that up. I mean, I talked briefly last time about COVID throwing a spanner in the works for the, the deployment piece. Uh, and, and yeah, we worked through with the amazing Clinical Excellence Commission and their infection control team and got those guidelines published. And we've since done a publication supporting that because, you know, this sh- this was another thing that we didn't need a local solution for. This was a international problem and we had people reaching out from everywhere. So we did that sort of supporting publication on, on the back of those guidelines as well, just to try and help this community move forwards as well. So, yeah, again, lots of collaboration to make these things happen. Amazing. Well, we'll put some more notes about the project and the work that's been done in the district in the show notes of this episode for people to check out if they want some more information. Sounds really exciting. Really looking forward to what's going to happen 2022 and beyond for you guys. Thank you so much for making the time and we'll have to get you on again in another 6 or 12 to, to share some even more progress. Thank you so much. Sounds great, Pete. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.